have we been doing this show? You're listening to The Wrestling Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at obpapparel.com. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. It's episode 166. It's our NXT special. I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. Here to talk about some of the greatest matches in the history of NXT TakeOvers. And that kind of dovetailed with some polls that you did on the Twitter account, Liam. And asking um, some questions of the listener. Uh, Would you like to go into that? Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking about doing this show. And uh, when we got to our, uh, we decided we were going to do our top five matches. Our, each, each would list our top five matches for NXT TakeOvers. And uh, started going a little further. We thought, what if we also named who we think the, the, the best performer in NXT history is? And, and that's obviously a large sweeping statement. And depending on you know, what criteria you use, you could come up with a, you know, 10 or 15 different answers for that question. But I just said, hey, what the heck? So I did a bunch of Twitter polls, and uh, thanks to some of our friends for uh, for retweeting those and had a lot of votes, a lot of feedback on this. On this, Maybe the most feedback I've gotten on anything other than our uh, year-end uh, polls that we do uh, when we do our year interview show. But lots of feedback. But we had our, our top six uh, NXT stars, as in the ones who won their, uh, their first-round matchups. They had Finn Balor. Sasha Banks, Tommaso Ciampa, Asuka, Samoa Joe, and Kevin Owens. Those are those are the top six. How does that strike you as a top six? First of all, it's, it's pretty strong. I don't I don't have I don't have too many nits to pick with that. Yeah, and I I didn't seed it. You know, uh, Gargano, Zayn, and uh, Bailey were all in the same poll with Finn. So if they had been in a different poll, maybe they would have ended up in this mix, but. For the heck of it, we did that. We split it. Did semifinals? Finn Balor and Kevin Owens won those. And our final result, according to our lovely listeners and Twitter followers, Finn Balor is the greatest performer in NXT history. Uh, right or wrong on this very suggest- on this very subjective uh, question, Ethan? In terms of greatest performer, n- no. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I can I can name a lot of guys that had better matches specifically at takeovers. Now who's the biggest star? It's Finn Balor. <laughs> he, sure. was a, he was a huge star there or he felt I, like that, he felt like a huge star there. And, and I, and I mentioned that on Twitter and I'll sort of give it here. I mean, and I didn't, I didn't restrict criteria to match quality. If I had, maybe we would have had different answers, but uh, I mean, if you look at star power, if you look at promos, uh, you look at you know the most m- amount of good matches. I think you're right. I don't think Finn's at the top of any of those lists, except for star power, and you know the the original expansion when they started doing NXT in arenas and started taking it on tour was while he was the world you know their top guy and their champion. So I think yeah, if you want to say he's the best star, I don't have a huge problem with that. But uh, I guess we can give our picks for the best performer first, and then get into our lists here. But for me, I think the greatest performer in NXT history is Sami Zayn. They did about you know almost two years worth of stories of him leading up to him finally winning the NXT title, and the match where he finally wins it is an incredibly emotional story. Uh, just just a great wild roller coaster. He's the original Mister NXT. He's uh, the heart and soul of that brand when it was first introduced. It felt like. But my pick for number one, personally, is Sami Zayn. What about you? If we're talking just stars, I would say, you know, I, as I said, it was Finn, Finn Balor's the biggest star in NXT history. But for match quality, uh, I would go with Johnny Gargano on the top of that list. Um, matches with Almas, matches with Ciampa, matches that he's yet to have. I just think far and away, Johnny Gargano <laughs> is, the best, is the best wrestler 
that has ever wrestled in, in NXT. Um, you have a story still being written. Ricochet is there now. <laughs> Very true. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just think for me, it's, it's Gargano and it's, it's not even close. I mean, Asuka is a dynamic performer, but she was working. She didn't really have anybody that, Aside from Bailey, who has regressed so much, by the way, but <laughs> aside from Bailey, um, she never really had anybody. Oh, and Ember Moon, Ember Moon, I think learned some things about working working with Asuka. Um, but I just for for much of her run there, Asuka didn't have anybody to work with. <laughs> well, yeah, they called up all the horsewomen, and except for Bailey, and then. Uh... Yeah, once Oscar won the title from her, it was uh, you know, a lot of like matches with like Peyton Royce and I mean you had you eventually they mixed in like Nikki Cross and, and Asuka had had that one really wild brawl. Um there's like a last man or woman standing match, I think, on a, on an episode of T V. But yeah, certainly she didn't have the level of opponent that uh I will say you give credit to Gargano, and that's just counting his single stuff. If you count his stuff in DIY that's oh yeah uh, i mean it's him it's maybe him one in champa too <laughs> yeah it's a, it's fair um yeah. so again it like i said it really doesn't there's not a wrong way to judge this criteria as i said if you're talking the greatest star from a star power standpoint uh it's probably finn if you're looking at the best long-term stories ever told in in nxt you might look at Sami Zayn. you might look at bailey um, but I mean, from your perspective, yeah, if, if you're just, if you're looking at, at match quality, uh, week in and week out, and that's, I and mean, that's not counting like the TV matches Gargano had with like Cassius Ono. He had a great match at the end of the year last year with Ono on just on free television. He had, a, he had another match with Almas on free TV or not free TV, but you know, the, the weekly show Yeah, and, uh, and, and quite a few others as well. So yeah, Gargano, as far as just sheer volume of, of classics, uh, currently, yeah, he's probably the king. Like I said, if you look at it and you know, if you combine great matches with long-term storytelling and being and, and promos and stuff like that, I think I would give it to Zayn. But uh, I don't, I don't think there's wrong answers here. If you look on the female side, again, long-term storytelling with Bailey. You know, while seemingly every other woman in the company won the title until she finally beat Sasha for it. Uh, where you talk about Sasha's rise and sort of her being able to even get to that top heel spot in a promotion that also had Charlotte, which we saw her, ha- we've seen her have issues with that on the main roster uh, <laughs> or really any other attractive blonde woman. But, um, but certainly it was, it was certainly, it was the bright spot. There are guys like Neville who, I mean, he, I mean, I think the, the general consensus on Neville was that he couldn't talk, but it's like, if you watch some of those promos, he and Sami Zayn did back and forth leading up to their title match, that guy could talk a whole lot. And you saw that eventually when they turned him heel. And, uh, you know, he had that somewhat disastrous cruiserweight title reign. Um, so it's like, there's so, there's so much talent and we're not, we're not, here's the list of things we're not going to talk about. <laughs> Is that all of the wrong and terrible and sad things that happened when these people leave NXT and go to the main roster. We're not going to talk about that this week, Ethan. Absolutely not. Remember when Neville got two nicknames? He was the was the man that gravity forgot, and what was the other one? The new sensation. <laughs> what nickname do you think the Velveteen Dream's gonna get when he goes to the main roster? I'm afraid to answer. The androgynous. That's too too associated with gold dust. Too synonymous with gold dust. But yeah, Vince does like to repeat stuff. As as uh, someone noticed, he was calling Bob Backlund the lunatic fringe <laughs> when Vince was doing commentary back in the day. So. That's fair. Might, might be time to bring it back. It's been <laughs> twenty years. That's a good point. All right. Well, where where are we going here? Are we gonna go into our top five. Yeah, I mean, if if we have any honorable mentions, I guess before we get started with our with our top fives, we can name them here. But again, it's all subjective. We also tried to avoid uh, having any matches on our lists that the other person also had on their list, just for the sake of variety. So this isn't necessarily any definitive list, but these are. 10 of our favorite matches and we'll sort of, we can just sort of go back and forth and drop them off. But is there any honorable mentions for you that maybe you, you don't want to necessarily put in your top five, but that you think are worth mentioning? 
the DIY uh, Authors of Pain ladder match, just off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, the one where, um, yeah, Ciampa blew his knee out and then uh, turned <laughs> turned after. I, that, yeah. that was on the same night, right? Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that match was insane. I mean, they found ways. It's really hard to come up with innovative ladder spots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they came up with some pretty innovative ladder spots. So that's really like the only standout one for me. I did in preparing for the show, I did go back and watch some of the Zane and uh, some of the some of the earlier stuff. And uh, th- that might it might just be a kind of a recency uh, bias for me. And I can go back and watch some of that uh, Zane and and Neville stuff, and it it doesn't feel import as important to me. And maybe it was just because it was all still, um, you know, full sale at the time. Um, and you know, recent recency bias is a thing. So you know, sure. maybe, maybe I'm just thinking the last couple of years here. Um, but yeah, that's that's really the, the one that sticks out to me. And I really think that that Bailey the Bailey Oscar match from the the second Brooklyn show. Yes, I think that gets forgotten. I think that was Bailey's last like great match. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that's those are good shout outs. I also think uh, sometimes context is important. Uh, watching. Uh, that Sam, a Sammy Neville match or something that's kind of watching that cold, even with a video package beforehand. It's not quite the same if you are following the weekly TV for years leading up to that, where Sammy would keep getting close to the title and then losing at the last second and the way they finally built to the, you know, the title versus career match. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, context is important. Some things feel more important. And I think sometimes things without uh, or with the context are, are, can be even better, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Um, my honorable mentions, uh, a couple more recent ones, the, uh, the Adam Cole, Alistair Black extreme rules match from just earlier this year. Those mm. guys tried to kill each other. <laughs> they did. A, they, I remember one terrifying spot with it, like a DDT on a chair. Yeah, well, there's a spot where Adam Cole gets backdropped onto two chairs that are like back to back. He gets dropped on the the tops of the chairs. Oof. Uh, he does a they do a crazy bum where he lands like ass first on a ladder in the corner. Oof. Uh, uh, Black takes a flat back bump through two tables on the floor. They do a like a crazy like they do like a, a meteora. Michael Cole's favorite move, a meteora. <laughs> Like uh, Black jumps from off the top of the barricade and and Meteora's Cole through the through the announce table. Uh, those guys just try to kill each other. Also, Adam Cole had like a hand wound of some kind because it's like there's just blood all over his hand. And I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened. And then later they finally like I see refs going over and he all of a sudden his hands all wrapped up. I was like, oh okay, his hand was bleeding. But hmm. uh, so those guys just tried to kill each other. It's one of the, I think one of the craziest, most violent matches I think. I've seen in, in WWE in, in years. And so I thought, I mean, the effort put forth there is, uh, is worth mentioning. Um, the, uh, the, the crazy multi-man ladder match from this year, uh, it starts with Ricochet hitting a springboard shooting star press and then gets <laughs> crazier from there. That, that's, that was real close to making my, my list. It's, I mean, as far as a stunt show, the Edge and Christian Hardy Boys Dudley Boys style, you know, demolition derby ladder match. It's on the short list. If it's not the best one of those matches that's ever existed, mm-hmm. it's real far up that list. I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, one final honorable mention would be for it would be for uh, Brooklyn NXT Takeover Brooklyn Three, the uh, the second Oscar and Ember Moon match, which. Almost made my top five. I think the bulk of the match is just kind of pretty good. But then the last like three minutes or so, because they did a thing where nobody kicked out of Ember Moon's move. Nobody. <laughs> and in fact, they had people get injured just by taking it normally. And so finally, Ember finally hits her big eclipse in this match. And Asuka just kicks out at two. And the crowd lost their effing minds. <laughs> And at that moment, it was Ember didn't know what to do. And it became some of the best storytelling I think I've seen in a WWE match 
in ages. And uh, it ends up leading to a lot of different counters. Ember tries it again, and she's just distraught. And finally, Asuka springs to life out of nowhere and locks in the Asuka lock, and Ember taps out because it's, it seems so far away now because Asuka's lost to Carmella like three times now. But <laughs> wait, we're not going to talk about that. Um, but uh, uh, the, the long-term story of Ember Moon being a loser who could never beat Asuka uh, was, was, was really good. And the moment of Asuka being Goldberg, of being indestructible, even this incredible move that everybody loses to, she kicked out of. It's one of the better jobs WWE has done in ages of protecting a move for that big moment where somebody kicks out. Uh, so that's, that's my last honorable mention there, but there's tons of great matches. I, I made a giant list, a Chris Jericho <laughs> 2016 l- level list of NXT matches for you and I to go back and watch. And 28 matches. <laughs> we each watched a ton, and then I added a few more at the last second. So, uh, you know, we, we both had a lot of homework, and of course, you're also writing uh, recaps for New Japan shows at 3 in the morning on the weekends. So <laughs> we did our homework on this show, folks. We went to pretty much – we watched, I think, at least one match from almost every takeover. So uh, we've, we've come with our opinions. They are opinions, of course, but they are what I would call informed opinions on our top five matches uh, from NXT TakeOver's past. Can I, can I kick this party off? Let's get started. My number five. Yeah, my, in my opinion, the fifth best match in TakeOver history was the Sasha Bailey Iron Man match. Uh, this is obviously the blow-off. Uh, Sasha's last NXT match, the blow-off to their NXT feud. And uh, I kind of really just became a, an NXT fan probably at some point that year, like I'd probably watched a couple of takeovers, but in terms of actually being a fan and regular viewer of the product, it really started with the first Brooklyn show. And, uh, when I, and when Sasha Banks came out at the first Brooklyn show, I was like, Whoa. And then when she wrestled Bailey in this Iron Man match and she did, this is maybe the, the last great heel move in the history of wrestling. <laughs> where she ripped the bow off of Izzy the Bailey fan's head. Uh, Izzy the Bailey fan looked at her shocked and then cried, and then Sasha got in the ring and paraded around with the bow in her hair as she was beating up Bailey. It's one of the greatest heel things I've ever seen. Well, and to, it, your, to your point with that, it's like that crowd was pretty split, and it's the full-sale crowd, so they know Sasha and Bailey and... You know, they don't really want to boo Sasha, even though they know she's the heel. So, like, for most of the match, they're kind of playing along and they're cheering Bailey a little bit more. But then Sasha does that and they get so furious. And from that <laughs> moment on, all this crowd wants to do is see Bailey beat this jerk, so like this great. terrible person. And, so great. and because it's NXT, generally we do eventually get a happy ending, and on this night we got that happy ending. I mean, and then the post match, the on camera from the post match, where they had Regal and Stephanie and Triple H come out and Sarah Del Rey come out and give flowers to the performers, and was like, ugh, it's one of the nicest things I've ever seen in wrestling, <laughs> and it got it got a legitimate. Uh, reaction from the people that it was. I just wrestling can be beautiful. <laughs> it's like that was it's art, man. That was beautiful. <laughs> and yeah. then, and then, obviously, the story after of uh, after the show, Sasha gave her flowers to Bailey, the, Bailey, uh, Izzy the Bailey fan, uh, which you know, breaking kayfabe, but um, I, that's just kind of a oh, I love that match. Oh yeah, that's that's a great that's a great fifth as a as a uh, total package to coin a phrase. Um, <laughs> C R T M. Um, yeah, that's 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 uh, that's a great moment and a great match and the work in the match. We've kind of talked about the the accoutrements around the match. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of really good wrestling, and we've seen some thirty minute Iron Man matches since then on WWE TV that weren't a quarter as good as this. So as and far as keep, keeping fans invested, as oh, far yeah. as the actual in-ring work, 
Like these two were at the top of their game, physically, character wise, everything. It was it's pretty darn great. And the other thing the thing another thing that stands out, well, I know that they practice a lot of these matches move for move before takeovers and cool, I don't care. It makes a great finished product. I feel like some people knock that and thinking you're less of you're less of a good worker or it's you're like, less of an artist. Is that any different than Randy Savage or DDP or any of those guys planning their move their matches out move by move? Not to me. I don't have a problem with it. But the thing that stands out to me in that 30-minute match, you don't see him calling spots. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a great point. I never thought about that. So either they knew they just knew the match so well and had practiced it so many times and knew it so well that they didn't have to, or these two had just worked together so much that they knew, or they're so good at calling their spots where you can't see them calling their spots. <laughs> that uh, anyway, yeah. Sorry, I could talk about this for three hours. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have plenty of time here, but maybe not that much time. Uh, so I guess moving on to my number five. Uh, Somewhat similar note from uh, just a few months prior, I went the uh, Sasha Banks versus Becky Lynch NXT women's title match from, I believe it was NXT TakeOver Unstoppable. But, uh, you know, Becky, I think maybe the reason I liked this match more in hindsight, because I remember at the time not getting why Becky was in that spot, why mm. it wasn't Bailey, And, of course, the, it's because they were trying to delay and get to, to Brooklyn. I understand that now. But at the time, it was like Becky was like this cold. She had just kind of turned babyface. And she really only turned because she and Sasha like turned on each other. It wasn't really like a strong babyface turn. Mm -hmm. uh, but with, in retrospect, Becky never got like her real. I guess she won the title on SmackDown the one time. But it never really feels like she got the moments that, like, despite what has happened with Bailey or Sasha. On the, in the last few years, they had definable moments where if it, you know, if they were forced to retire tomorrow, they could look back and go, that was great. That was yep. special. I made a difference. I changed how women are viewed in this company, whatever. And Becky never has really gotten that moment as we are, <laughs> at least as we speak <laughs> here in the summer of 2018. Um, and so maybe that uh, Becky is more of an, an underdog character to me now. So again, maybe watching this was 2018 eyes meant a little bit more to me, but I thought they just did a tremendous job in this match because again, Becky was not the most popular girl on that roster. Clearly Bailey was, but she, by the end, and when that match started, more people were cheering for Sasha than they were for Becky, but because both were very good at their jobs they got into Becky as a baby face and she becomes this underdog and she keeps fighting and she keeps fighting and she almost wins, but she can't quite get it done. And Sasha beats her. And then again, a little bit of the post-match, the crowd then sings Becky's song to her and they let her know that, Hey, we know you tried real hard and you'll get them next time. And it was, I just thought it was like a really good bit of, this is the champion. In the end, the champion is a superior athlete, superior wrestler to the challenger. But maybe next time, if, the cha if that challenger got one more shot at that champion, maybe it would be different next time. It's like some, some Ric Flair 1989 stuff. Like that's, <laughs> and that's the most high compliment I think I can pay to, I've ever paid to Sasha Banks <laughs> on this show. Um, but like, I thought that match was just, it was really well laid out as far as making Becky a underdog that you wanted to see win. And even when she didn't win, she felt like a bigger star and a better baby face afterwards. It's tremendous. It's what you want when you have a heel champion that's going to keep the title, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, I mean, if you compare it to some of the losses, when he, when baby faces lose clean on the main roster, there's a certain feeling of hopelessness that accompanies it. <laughs> and you just, you don't have that in NXT, certainly not this era of NXT. Um, or like in the end, you know, for the most part, the baby face is going to get their moment. It may be longer. It may take longer than you would like it to. Sometimes they do miss the peak with certain people, I think. But in the end, you generally know the baby face is going to get their moment to shine. And unfortunately, Becky still hasn't really gotten hers. But <laughs> at least for one night, they treated her like a big star. And like I said, they started out really not being that into her. And through her work and through Sasha's work, by the end, they loved her. And she was, you know, one of their girls by the end of it. So that's, 
that's a pretty cool moment. I think Jim Ross wants Becky to be one of his girls. Probably. My number four is uh, Gargano Ciampa one. Ooh. Just storytelling, pro wrestling as storytelling. You're rewarded for paying attention. Um, things like the finish with uh, the knee brace across Ciampa's face as he tapped out. Again, we can talk about whether or not it should have been booked that way as the <laughs> first match of you know a two or three match program. Um, but thinking that maybe they would call someone up after that match, uh, I was fine with that as a finish and pretty darn close to you know, eh, I don't really do the star rating thing, but if you, I think I think that's probably a five star match. I mean, it's darn near close, and yeah, little things like they do the spot where near the end where where Johnny sits down next to Champa, which if you remember back to the match those two had in the Cruiserweight Classic two years prior, that was after Gargano beat him. He sat down next to Champa like that, and Champa gave him a hug. And, you know, of course, they then went on to win the tag titles. And, and then, as you, you know, as we talked about in our honorable mentions, eventually Ciampa turns on him and, and tears up his knee and, and finally come back. All you know, the various symbolisms and, and stuff layered on top of two guys just working their butts off and beating the crap out of each other. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. And, and in NXT, you're rewarded for paying attention. Whereas on the main Correct. roster shows, main roster shows, you're punished for caring about things like continuity. <laughs> Correct. All right, moving on to my number four. Uh, I went with perhaps, arguably, the one great Shinsuke Nakamura WWE performance. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura's debut match in Dallas against Sami Zayn. Um, now, I think if you're looking for hashtag work rate. This isn't going to be number one on a lot of people's lists, mm-hmm. but they do a lot of big, but it's, it is a lot of big move kick out moments, but the crowd, they so immediately when Nakamura walks out, he's the biggest star in the whole brand. And Sami Zayn again is Mr. NXT. He's the guy who's been there forever that, you know, the fans stuck with him, and he finally won the title and then he got hurt and he's finally back, and everybody kind of knows it's his last match because he's already gone up to the main roster. He was wrestling on WrestleMania the next day. So it's combining the emotion of Sami Zayn's last NXT match with uh, Nakamura's um, arrival and immediate superstardom, not in the WWE sense, but an actual sense. Uh, (laughs) And then they had a really good wrestling match, and they do, again, it is a lot of just big move, kick out, big move, kick out. But as, again, uh, TMCR, total package, as a total package, this move, this match is, I think, certainly one of the most memorable, if nothing else, in NXT history. I, I would agree with you in terms of most memorable. And you talk about how, you know, for the work rate might not get it remembered or put at the top of, of a lot of lists. Um, and there's a point that, Dave Meltzer makes about um, how you're working for the crowd in the arena on that night. And I don't always believe that that's the case just because <laughs> there are millions of people watching on television sometimes. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's bigger than that sometimes, but there are absolutely instances where on a certain night, you are working with those people in mind. I mean, you're generally always working with those people in mind first and foremost, because they're giving you the immediate response, but that's a great example of, yeah, if you want to pick it apart and say, it's just guys kicking out of big moves. Okay. But that was the perfect match to work in front of that crowd on that night. And, and yeah, I I got no issues with that. Yeah. And and the post match again, they, they, you know, Sammy, you know, Nakamura shakes his hand and and then Nakamura leaves and gives Sammy the ring and Sammy gets to do his farewell. Uh so the the post match there again is is pretty excellent as well. And uh this was uh, pre my hatred for Corey Graves, Corey Graves and Tom <laughs> Phillips. It was a two man announce booth, which I almost fell over when I when yeah. I realized that. Um but 
It was, uh, yeah, everything involved commentary making, you know, they're making, they want you to know what a big deal Nakamura is on his first night. They're not trying to downplay what he did in other companies. They're talking about how he's been an IWGP heavyweight champion and all that stuff because they want him, they're trying to make him an even bigger star. And a way to do that is to tell you he's already cool and awesome and accomplished. Now he's going, he's on the even bigger stage like that. So I really appreciate it. I thought the announcers did a great job. The match itself is great. The crowd is absolutely electric. And uh, yeah, wanna definitely, uh, definitely had to be in my top five, no doubt. Can easily rabbit trail, rabbit trail right here and talk about how you're absolutely right about how they positioned him on commentary. And obviously the entrance helped too, but also is he already past the peak now? <laughs> <laughs> is it <laughs> Is it too late? <laughs> is he is he ever WWE champion? Uh, no. <laughs> he talks funny. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that on the show. No, no, absolutely not. Or how Billy Gunn and Tori Wilson were an act based on their asses. <laughs> Nor will we talk about that DX promo, that uh, the press conference they did where they just com- constantly got censored. And then Sean said, I was up all night in a very funny way. And how that was the absolute peak of DX comedy. We are not going to talk about that. Absolutely not. Uh, but number three on my list is from the same show as your number four. It's NXT TakeOver Dallas. And it is the American Alpha Revival tag team match on that show. Um, I'm not the, the biggest student of Japanese wrestling history. Uh, I don't watch a lot of Lucha. I'm I may take crap for this. I don't know. But that American Alpha Revival match at NXT TakeOver Dallas is the best tag team match I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> it, it, was, it was the opener. It was a five-star match. It was absolutely perfect. The crowd helped make it. They were chanting stuff, but it didn't detract from the match. And the work was incredible. The heat was nuclear. I love that match. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty great. Um, and again, we're not going to talk about what's happened on the main roster. Chad Gable and Jason Jordan in NXT uh, were so great. They were <laughs> such a great team. They, had, uh, you know, they, they hadn't been a team that long. and that, In fact, that was part of the storyline was that you know, the Revival, again, the commentators point out the Revival keeps talking about what great amateur wrestlers those two guys are, but you know, they're it's pro wrestling. We're in pro wrestling and, uh, and the revival are, have been a tag team for years and, and American alpha has only been together for a few months and sort of that basic story of, and you know, the strengths of a revival of, you know, the different ways they cut off hot tags and different stuff like that. And, you know, cheat behind the refs back, all those little things that made, you know, the revival probably deserve a, an honorable mention as far as, you know, some of the best performances, in uh, in NXT history as well, and uh, yeah, that match is is pretty perfect. And again, you got your happy ending, even though Gable and Jordan were going up to the main roster in a few months. They let them win here because they knew it was the right time for Gable and Jordan to win. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's yeah. my number three. All right, my number three. On a similar note, uh, speaking of the revival, I went with the two out of three falls. Uh, tag team title match from NXT TakeOver Toronto, DIY versus The Revival. Uh, it's just it's just great. And it, it built off, they had had one match, they had the match at Brooklyn 2, where uh, they got close to winning. Uh, they even had the titles won, but one of The Revival guys' foot was on the ropes. And then eventually Gargano, who had hurt his knee in, in the Cruiserweight Classic, ends up tapping out to a knee bar. And so the, the baby faces tap out. And theoretically, that would be a death sentence in a lot of places to have your, your top baby face team tap out. But they, they eventually they do build to a rematch here. And they do a lot of playing off that first match. And eventually they get to the end. The revival, or the revival is, is running wild. And finally, DIY walk, each locks in a submission the Revival are holding hands, trying to keep the other one from tapping. <laughs> Tremendous. And then at the same time, they both decide the pain is too great and tap out in stereo. 
some of the best, again, the last, last five minutes especially are some of the most dramatic, greatest storytelling I've, I've seen in WWE in a long time. So I think, I think both of our number threes were given a lot of credit to the Revival, but uh, NXT sure can, ha- sure can make a great babyface team too, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, oh. We talked about the thing before, how you know people say, oh, it'll be better when the old man's gone. <laughs> Will it? <laughs> Well, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful, just because everything that we know about Triple H as a promoter, uh, there are a lot of positive signs. We know he likes professional wrestling. <laughs> that's good. That's that's a pro. Uh, number two on my list: the Pete Dunne Tyler Bate match from NXT Takeover Chicago. A lot of people's WWE match of the year that year. Um, tremendous. Absolutely great. Five, five star match. A lot, of, a lot of those on here. Uh, <laughs> which, I mean, you're not wrong. They're, as, according to us, are you know 10 of the greatest matches ever. So they should all be right around that range. But I mean, especially if you think about that, because that was kind of a cold match. Like that was really before the UK guys started getting used on NXT regularly. And it was obviously, you know, they just recently officially started the NXT UK brand. So these guys were kind of just thrown out there. It was, it was a <laughs> rematch. the house down. <laughs> yeah. It was a rematch from the, the first finals. Tyler Bate had won the championship in the tournament in the UK a couple of months prior. And then really hadn't done anything on NXT TV. He may have had one or two matches, but they finally just announced, oh, by the way, on this TakeOver show, they're going <laughs> to they're have these two British fellows wrestle, and uh, by golly, they uh, they had maybe the best match in all of WWE last year. Yep, it was amazing. Absolutely great. Uh, my number two, I think this is going to be maybe a surprise to a lot of people, but uh, this, again, is something I think benefits a rewatch. Uh, Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens in the ladder match at the first NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Um. Mm. They had, they did not, we talked about earlier about the multi-man ladder match or the DIY ladder match. And both of those were crazy, incredible, athletic, uh, you know, experiences. They were crazy stunts, incredible moments. These two guys, Balor and Owens, had a fight that just happened to have a ladder. Mm-hmm. Like they do maybe four or five spots with the ladder. The rest of them is just, they, they brawl into the crowd they do spots on the announce table. These this looked like two guys who hated each other and wanted to rip each other apart and prove that they were the best. And in the end, the babyface takes everything that the heel can throw at him and still keeps fighting. And eventually, you know, you do get the one crazy ladder match moment of Finn does the foot stomp off of the ladder onto Owens, um, which I don't know how he didn't break his ankle or break. Owen's sternum. I'm pretty sure Owen's worked the next day too um, <laughs> on, on that SummerSlam show because that was after he had already been called up. That was Owen's last night in NXT. So uh, as far as a send-off for Kevin Owens uh, and the effort he put in on what was his last night for you know full-time main roster work, it would have been real easy for him to go, hey, brother, let's take it easy, I'm sure. And he didn't. And like I said, it's so it's completely unique. And I think any really any promotion that does ladder matches, you know, the young bucks have those crazy ladder wars once or twice a year now in ROH or, you know, you'll see, you know, hardcore matches everywhere. We mentioned the Adam Cole and Aleister Black one, which is more of just a crazy, you know, bunch of spots. And again, not, not denouncing that type of wrestling. Those again are some of the most breathtaking, memorable performances you're ever going to see. But if you want to see like a, a ladder match that is completely unique to I think anything that you're going to see in modern wrestling, especially in modern ladder matches, go back and watch that match again. Because it's one of the, to me, as I've clearly said here, it's number two on my list. It's one of the best matches I've ever seen uh, in NXT. So I can't give it a much higher compliment than that. You know, going back and watching this, excuse me, going back and watching this, Years later, I agree with you that this this helped. It helped seeing this 
out of context because in context, the first uh, two times that I that I watched it, I watched the whole uh, Brooklyn show, the Brooklyn show as a whole. And it was a victim of not being able to follow the match that came before it on that show. Yeah. Uh, but if you watch it in a vacuum, it is an innovative, different, brutal, violent, scary at times <laughs> ladder match. Yep. Good call. Yes. So it's, that's, uh, that's me. It's the dark horse. And again, the, the pros and cons of, of kind of going back and watching these matches is sometimes maybe things don't work as well without the context. And sometimes things work even better because there isn't any context. Yep. Yep. You probably know what number one on my list is. Uh, if they can't tell yet, they'll hear the theme music in a second here. Oh, yeah. You know it. Talked about uh, my wrestling fandom here on this show before. Obviously, I grew up um, as a very wee tot. Uh, why did I say that? <laughs> it's a weird way to talk. Nobody talks like that. I know. That. I grew up as a little fella, as a Hulkamaniac, which I now feel really terrible about. Something happened. I don't really remember. Yeah. So I was right around fa- 2015, actually. Yeah. <laughs> right around the time this these, this Brooklyn show. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, I was a Hogan fan all through his WCW run, through the heel run, through, through the whole deal. I was a rebellious teenager at the time that he was a heel. It felt cool to me. Uh, I was ready to uh, be a nice boy again when he turned when he turned <laughs> when he turned baby face in the WWE. Uh, for that two, 2002 nostalgia run, it was great. So I got the Hogan era there. Then Hogan kind of was in and out for a few years, and you had an era where I didn't have cable television, and my exposure to Raw or to WWE, and specifically Raw, was shows like The Bottom Line and occasionally AM Raw or one of those recap kind of shows. But for some yeah. reason, they would always show. It would show a lot of uh, like the Trish Stratus, Gail Kim era, Lita, Molly Holly, that era. They would show the women's matches in full a lot. And I thought that Trish Stratus was the best worker in the company at the time that she left in 2006. I was a huge Trish Stratus fan. Then I had kind of my Shawn Michaels phase, and I realized, you know, from 26 till his retirement, hey, Shawn Michaels is probably the greatest wrestler I've ever seen. I was a big Shawn Michaels fan. And then after he retired in 2010, I didn't have a favorite wrestler anymore, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I watched NXT take over Brooklyn, and I saw Sasha Banks' entrance with the bodyguards and the Escalade and the, uh, the swag and the title. And then saw her and Bailey absolutely tear the house down that night. And um, I was hooked. I had a new favorite wrestler. I had a new best match I've seen. Uh, Steve Austin's favorite match. Um, just just an absolute clinic. And again, you know, they go 20 minutes and you don't see him calling spots. Um, just, just ridiculous. A great heel being a great heel. A great baby face, green being a great baby face, both ridiculously fundamentally sound. You had your stunt bump. Um, you had that with Sasha doing the flip dive off the ref. By the way, she sh- all of her dives should be flip dives. Please don't do any more uh, tope suicidas, please. Don't like seeing her land on her face. No, I don't. I oh. um, Bailey doing the the, re- the reverse Frankensteiner off the top rope. My goodness, yeah. Um, well, to me, it was something you mentioned. They did all these crazy spots, but the spot that maybe got the most reaction in that match is when <laughs> Sasha has the bank statement locked yeah. on, and Bailey is Bailey, who has already had her hand injured. She was she had her hand between the post and the steps, and Sasha drop kicks the steps. So Bailey's hands already hurt. Bailey's reaching out for the rope later. She's in the bank statement, and Sasha puts out her foot. And begins rapidly stomping on <laughs> Bailey's fingers, so and the great. reaction from the crowd of like this horror <laughs> and like like this mix of oh my god that's awesome and also oh dude come on <laughs> like somehow she's being unfair which I mean it's you know 
the heel yeah. is attacking the injured bo- body part. So it's, you know, mildly underhanded. It's not traditionally heel. Again, it's more of like an NWA heel. It's, it's not, you know, she's not using brass knuckles or powder, right. Or sledgehammer. <laughs> she, but she's using, she's not fighting fair. Totally. Yeah. Um, which again, encourages people to then get behind Bailey a little bit more when Bailey starts to make her comeback and it, it leads to that finish. Um, it's tremendous, man. Um, and it's, I think if you want to say that's that single match and we haven't even mentioned the post-match, you got the curtain call. Oh, sure. With the, all the, all the force women. Yep. Yes. Uh, Charlotte, who was uh, a month away from ending fearless Nikki Bella's divas title reign, <laughs> the legendary, uh, yeah. Nikki Bella divas title reign. Um, you had Becky who, uh, has orange hair and, <laughs> Then you had Sasha and Bailey, who had you know one or two of the best matches in the company that year. Um, yeah, just that. That's that's pretty incredible. That first Brooklyn show as a total, like that also has as, as preposterous as sounds that it would be good. <laughs> Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake wrestle the Vaude villains, <laughs> and it's great. Yeah. And then uh, the opener was Jush- oh yeah, Jushin Thunder Liger. <laughs> wrestled Tyler Breeze who wanted to be Shawn Michaels so bad it hurt him and they had a pretty great match or a good match for an opener yeah. like that that first Brooklyn show we we didn't do a category for best show but that first ever NXT takeover Brooklyn show also had Samoa Joe carrying Baron Corbin to the only good match he's ever had that's that was a good match, and I'm trying to think if that's inaccurate, and I can't think of a, I don't know. a good one. I don't know. He had a match with AJ. I feel like maybe that was good. I don't know. I think the, AJ was hurt at the time, and I don't remember it being good. That sounds about right. Anyway, point being, that show's <laughs> top to bottom is pretty great. As you mentioned, sometimes coming back to it out of context helped the main event. But mm-hmm. if you watch that show start to finish, I don't think you're going to be disappointed when it's over, even though maybe the match order should have been changed a little bit. Uh, that show is a phenomenal show, and I, I can't really argue with your, with your pick for number one. Uh, moving on to my number one here. Uh, again, we mentioned long-term storytelling. You mentioned that with Bailey, the, under, the consummate underdog. But the, the ultimate underdog in, w, in, uh, in NXT for, for almost over a year leading up to, to uh, his finally winning the title, Sami Zayn. Uh, he constantly gets close, and he can't win the title. He gets close, and he can't win the title. Finally, he puts his career on the line against Neville. Neville tells him he doesn't have what it takes because he's too nice. He can't win the title because he doesn't, he doesn't do what it takes to win. And finally, in the end, Sammy conquers all. They have a tremendous match, and Sammy hits the Haluva kick, wins the title, and they do one of my favorite things that I ever get to see in wrestling, which is when a babyface wins the title and all of the other babyfaces in the locker room come out and celebrate with him. <laughs> it's great. It's a great loved it, moment. Loved it when Brett did it at the WrestleMania 10. Loved it. It's the only good part of Sting and Hogan's match at Starcade 97. Agreed. And yeah, this moment leading up to the celebration. Simply like the last moment where he hits the suplex into the corner and goes to the other corner to line up for Hulu kick and he just wipes his face and the camera gets <laughs> WWE camera work does not get a lot of thumbs up these days. <laughs> but there's a tremendous shot of like he's he's like gasping for breath and then he wipes his face and his expression changes to determination and he runs and he hits that kick in the corner and he pins Neville and wins the title. It's man, that's so great. And it was the moment where the hero, the underdog, finally got his moment. And he finally beat the champion. He beat him fair and square. He didn't have to resort to cheating. He did it because he's a good guy. And he kept trying. And man, man, I'm trying not to get sad. But that was, to uh. me, again, there's, there's bigger stages now, as you've mentioned Watching this is 2018 eyes is certainly a little different, but mm-hmm. man, that's that to me is it's it's between that and again, like we said, we were trying to keep our lists different so we wouldn't be repeating yeah. ourselves. But it's between I think for as far as long term stories, Bailey and Sammy's quests for titles 
are two of the best stories that company's ever told on any brand, much less NXT. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here today. <laughs> Shared a few laughs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's another one. Yep. Yeah. Well, we will be back uh, next week to preview this year's NXT TakeOver show and SummerSlam to a lesser degree. And uh, thanks for going on the ride with us here. Um, you got anything else, Liam? Yeah, just again, want to say thanks to everybody for, for voting and for tweeting me. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun getting to talk about this stuff. Obviously, we wouldn't do this show if we didn't love talking about this stuff. And sometimes wrestling can get us down. The, the current <laughs> product, which we are not going to talk about today, uh, can get us down. But it's good sometimes to remember that you can look back that what has happened now does not necessarily take away or hurt what were some really great, uh, important, beautiful moments in the history of this sport, this work sport of professional <laughs> wrestling. Um, it's wrestling's great, man. And watch it, watching a lot of these old matches remind me that oh yeah, pro wrestling, even even WWE, WWE can do great pro wrestling sometimes, and they can tell great stories, and they can have incredible athleticism and they can do all this stuff and so even though you know there's 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 some dark clouds out there you can you can take some solace and remember that man pro wrestling's great it's the best thing going today so till next time i'm ethan and i'm liam and we'll be back next week with more stories from the wrestling life bye-bye Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. For other podcasts like this, head to obpapparel.com. The Wrestling Life is brought to you by OBP Apparel. For Baltimore's best local sports gear, head to obpapparel.com. Whether it's baseball or football season, we've got you covered with Baltimore's best local sports gear. That's obpapparel.com. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Be sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for The Wrestling Life on the iTunes store. Make sure you leave a review and tell us how we're doing. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter at TWL underscore podcast for live tweets during wrestling events and other hilarity throughout the week. That's at TWL underscore podcast. Now back to the guys. big news that just broke no oh no <laughs> no there he's the devil's favorite mayor <laughs> oh was, that guy's serving public office he's a libertarian which means he's dumb <laughs> he's a dumb Dumb idiot. He's a Republican that likes to smoke pot. It's it's a, that's all that means, and it's a good idea. I mean, a lot of that libertarian stuff sounds good until you take it like you know beyond the first thought you would have on a subject, and then it ends up it ends up breaking down to like babies should be able to buy machine guns. <laughs> exactly. And it's like oh okay no that's stupid. You're you're not smart. Okay that makes sense. <laughs> uh, did you see that uh, big Kaz? Is is doing an indie show? I saw that. And I was like, yeah, that's about what I would expect from his like imagination or intelligence. Like that's the name I would expect him to come up with. Oh my gosh, <sighs> that guy! What do you think? What do you think about the Orioles burning it down? I mean, I prefer that to being eternally i mean except for this year like you know six games out of the wild card with a month to go in the season and then you know making a 
making <laughs> a making a quote unquote run where we get to like two and a half out and then lose <laughs> nine straight to end the season and and end up you know missing the wild card game. Like I prefer. I mean, I like the idea of it. I mean, I I haven't looked closely enough. As my understanding is that we didn't get any like super top grade A prospects for anybody, but. I mean, you just at a certain point you just buy, get as many guys as you can, and then you just throw them all at the wall and hope like four or five of them end up being major league players. Yeah. To me, I wish, I wish I had some confidence that oh, they're letting Dan do this. That means Dan's going to be back. Yeah. I, I just. And I'm not like, I don't necessarily, I don't need it to be Dan. I'm not like a huge Dan Duquette guy or anything, mm-hmm. but I, I trust him more than anybody else in that room right now. <laughs> yeah, you don't think Brady Anderson has a, has his fingers on the pulse? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I, I like Brady. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, it certainly seemed like, and I mean, it's been mentioned in press releases how like it's supposed to be now like the Angelo's sons are in charge. Yeah, and they're you know they're letting Dan do whatever he wants, and they're uh, they're allocating the the international signing money now, and and trading for extra and stuff to try to go after Victor Victor, and <laughs> uh, I mean they're certainly they're like they're saying all the right things. They've made, you know they made deals to bring Brooks and Eddie and whoever back into the fold, and yeah, uh, which is I mean that's all cool and and good like cosmetic you know repair for you know things people have complained the Orioles have not done well for 20 years so I mean that's that's cool um but yeah it's I mean prospects at the end of the day are all still prospects and they could all be nothing and we could be 10 years again before we're any good so yeah. Like I mean I, like again I like the idea of burning it down rather than, you know, going out and trading for Scott Feldman at the, at the deadline <laughs> to try to get to 83 wins instead of 79. Like I I like that idea in theory. <laughs> oh, I forgot about Scott Feldman. How about Jeremy Hellickson and Tim Beckham last year? Yeah, you know, the the big the big trades. Uh Wade Miley uh, uh I was going to say Joe Saunders, but Joe Saunders actually got us into the playoffs. So yeah. Beckham, um, Beckham at least had a hot month. True. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's... Now he makes at least one play a game where I'm like, I think maybe he you has brain play damage. shouldn't baseball no more. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't be able to hold the glove no more. Yeah, I feel like he might be brain damaged. <laughs> This is my favorite thing is like, you know, the hot take before Manny got traded is, oh, Manny's a terrible shortstop. And I was like, well, first of all, he played third base and shortstop at the same time for the last three years because old man Hardy can't go to his left or his right or bend over at all. But nobody seemed to care. Um, we just let him play shortstop for as many games as he wanted. He could almost throw it to first base. <laughs> he could throw it, uh, almost throw it to first base without it bouncing twice. <laughs> So, yep, JJ's a leader, and he's got to be out there at shortstop. <laughs> Meanwhile, Manny and you know is playing third, and it's like J- John Scope is like he's got a great arm, but it's like he needs a great arm because he's fat and he doesn't really field very well. <laughs> so he has, always has to like rush when because by the time he gets to the ball, the guy's like two steps away from first base. <laughs> so it's like yeah, this I mean like nobody in that infield except for Manny was great, and then Manny played third base for five years, and then they just threw him at shortstop. And he was playing for the worst team in the major leagues, and so he didn't try. So it's like, eh, I, I don't know. There were, the hot take was, oh, we should have just left Manny at third. It's like, okay, well then Beckham plays short, and that's definitely not better. It may, it, you know, it may not be like demonstrably worse, but it's definitely not better. And Beckham like tore his groin two weeks into the season. Like, it, yeah. yeah, it may have been a flawed plan from the start, but Manny was going to end up there anyway. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just. Because the farm system is completely barren, or at least it was before we made, you know, these deals. Yes. The interesting thing to me about these deals was that most of the guys are like double A or higher, which mm-hmm. in theory you would hope would mean, oh, maybe it's only going to be two years before we're good. <laughs> <laughs> but as you kind of alluded to, if these guys aren't any good, then you're looking at another, you know, what, five year cycle between. <laughs> 
drafting guys and getting them to the majors. And I mean, who do you have left to trade? You have Bundy left now, and yeah, that's it. Like, do we have one more year of Trumbo after this year? Yep. Jesus. <laughs> and like nine more of Davis, but like right. Well, I mean, like, that's just lost money at this point. You can't. No, you're just it. paying them to hang out with you. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a nice guy smart guy good family man <laughs> he's a family man <laughs> good family man jay told us that conan is a family man <laughs> that's such a nice subtle like <laughs> dig at leno that and his intelligence yeah yeah and right, leno's right. And leno, like a dig at anyone that like would like leno would not pick up on it <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> there's the uh the first thursday concert the first thursday of every month in the summertime Mm -hmm. uh at the waterfront park and uh archie hates it and refuses to go outside during (laughs) during it so i think tonight we may have successfully bamboozled him into um not needing to go outside while there's loud music outside so i'm hoping like you know if we wrap up here at you know 10 30 or whatever mm-hmm. i will be so thrilled if i don't <laughs> if i don't put the leash on him and take him outside and he doesn't like run away or well one time he tried to run away but not well that was because someone was shooting off fireworks in the park at two o'clock in the morning but anyway he just he sits down on the sidewalk and just refuses to go anywhere and, right and you can't you can't move them unless you're dragging them on concrete. Like right. and that's that's inhumane. So right, <laughs> it's like, all right, dude, <laughs> just please don't just sit down. Yeah. So we we have this vet who's like kind of a hippie. Uh huh. And her thing was like, what we went to her. I don't know. We're like, look, he's, you know, when we first got him, we're like, he's a terror. He has ridiculous energy. We walk and we just walk him for like three hours at a time and he never gets tired. Can you please give him something that will make him sleep? (laughs) And she's like, well, let's start off with melatonin. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, that's like the most mild, you know, uh, sleeping. That's baby sleep drugs. Right for people like right and there's like no real studies on whether or not it works in dogs so we give it to him it's like candy <laughs> so uh-huh. so i take benadryl every night i have for a decade <laughs> i continue mm-hmm. to so i'm like all right i'm gonna give him some benadryl and that works pretty well but um so then we mentioned okay so that that's like the sleep piece but the other piece of this is that if there's loud music outside or anything loud outside he doesn't want to go outside can we give him something that's going to make him like we heard about this medication called cilio that helps dogs that have aversion to loud noises can you just it's like well first let's try this gabapentin or whatever this other medication it's Mm -hmm. like and then maybe after that we can go to the i'm like how about we just cut to the chase and give us what's going to work instead of experimenting with all of this? Yeah. Stuff. He's like, well, I've also been given cannabis oil, but I'm not I'm <laughs> really, I'm really not sure if I'm ready to prescribe that yet. All right. Listen, Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> can we, can we please have a real veterinarian? <laughs> but anyway, so then, uh, Anna calls, uh, David, <laughs> the groomer. And he uh, at first he asks where we'd taken him before. And she, he's like, well, what do they charge? And Anna tells him. And he's like, well, it's going to be at least twice that much. <laughs> like, she's like, okay, well, he just, you know, he needs to be groomed. And he's like, okay, well, what time do you want to come in? She's like, um, uh, how about 9 a.m.? Or, or, or no, she's like, well, when do you open? And he's like, uh-huh. I, can, I can open anytime. And she's like, well, how about 9 a.m.? And he says, how about 10? So he's just kind of, <laughs> he's kind of being difficult just to be difficult. Ah, cool. So she, so she drops the dog off, and uh, they, they groom him. They do a pretty good job. Uh, but they call her to come, uh, like, um, console him while they're finishing up just because he had started to bark a little bit. So mm-hmm. she comes back, and she's like, and, she, uh, and Anna says that David answered the door. And um, for some reason, I picture David as Cesar Romero's Joker. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, I'm not sure why, but like you know the the loud pink suit and the the green hair and <laughs> and the mustache you can see through the uh, <laughs> yeah through the paint. So and it was like she uh, and David answered the door and he was shaving. Uh, he was shaving his face. Okay. <laughs> his assistant was grooming the dog. He's like, hmm. oh, you got back here quicker than I thought. You, I haven't even had time to finish shaving. <laughs> uh huh. What? What? We don't have a real groomer. We don't have a real vet. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> he was shaving himself, not the dog. <laughs> <laughs> God said it all I try to keep on keeping on.